Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the From the Finney podcast with me, Jake. Me, Dan. And me, Sarah. Hello. Uh, yeah, so this week, Ollie couldn't be with us. He's uh, making the most of finishing uni, shall we say. Um, so we've got Sarah, uh, who's another one of the authors from the site, and she's joining us for episode two. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the pre-season plans, another Twitter meltdown, and the possibility of losing Ben Pearson and how that could shape our summer transfer plans. So yeah, I think let's crack in, crack on, and jump into uh, the Ben Pearson thing. Uh, there's been a few rumours over the last few days about Bristol City coming in for him, and there's also been links for the Premier League club apparently sniffing around, um, who I'm led to believe are Brighton. There's, I don't think there's any doubt that he could make it in the Premier League, but. I think he needs to change a few aspects of his game in order to become a regular in the Premier League uh, and make a career for himself there. He picks up far too many unnecessary yellow cards for just being a gobshite, basically. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, few, a few things I wanted to say about this was, um, I mean, the Bristol City thing, first of all, I can't really see happening. Uh, no. When when Alex Neil signed his contract after that whole West Brom fiasco, uh, I, I was, I would assume that he was made certain assurances. One of which I could, it's not hard to imagine, would be that we weren't going to sell our best players to rivals. Yeah, I agree. So I think I can't, I, I, can't, I can't see Ben Pearson going to Bristol City, and I can't see them paying what we'd probably want for him. Upward of ten million, I would suspect. He's. A... I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was twelve or more. Yeah, to be honest, I would say so. But the thing is, uh, the club do seem to have this um, this policy that if a Premier League club comes in for one of our bigger players, uh, it's at least talked about or entertained. Yeah. And so, I, think, I think we'll also try and rinse Premier League clubs for a little bit more than probably what we would yeah. have valued them at. I think Jordan Hugill is a prime example of that. Yeah. Absolutely no way on God's green earth is that guy worth £9 million. <laughs> He's a really good player and I'd have him back in a heartbeat, but I think at the time he was maybe four, five, six million pound player. Um, So yeah, I think, go on Sarah, sorry. I was just going to say on the flip side to that, there was Greg Cunningham going to um, Cardiff last season. Like there was an argument that he didn't, well, we didn't get as much as we could have done for him. What was it? Four million. It was it was uh, three and a half, I think, for Greg Cunningham. But yeah. I think what I think what I have to remember is he was going into his last year of contract, and he's a fullback. And I mean, as unnecessary as it is that prices disparage between positions, fullbacks aren't really as highly thought of in terms of financial clout as strikers. Yeah, they're so not considered to be uh, get for Hugo. 
Yeah, they're not considered to be as glamorous, are they, really? Yeah. Yeah, but then when you look at, like, how we've missed him, you can, yeah, you can still say he was a key player to us, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I do think if he'd have maybe had 24 months left on his contract, as opposed to 12, yeah. you'd, you'd We'd probably have been looking at, money. yeah, at least an extra million or two um, on top of mm. the three and a half that we got for him. Um, but, yeah, I think back back to Ben Pearson, he, he's if he goes, he's going to be going for more than 10 million, in my opinion. Um, Definitely. He's... Uh, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd say he probably is the best central midfielder I've seen play for North End in my time watching North End, which is about twenty years, and I'm twenty seven. So yeah, he's definitely the best defensive midfielder I've seen. <clears throat> yeah, um, I've been going for a shorter amount of time than you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but in terms of his discipline, I think the one thing that goes against him, and it's unfortunate, is. His reputation. There's yeah. been a few times this season where he's made a challenge that if another player had made it, he wouldn't. The other player, say it was Alan Brown or Paul Gallagher or Daniel Johnson, wouldn't necessarily have picked up a booking or given away a foul. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. One that springs to mind for me is the Norwich game at home, the penalty. Um, well, I mean, I mean that was that wasn't a foul. I mean, I know, I know he won the ball. Be, be accused of bias, and we'll say we we're just Preston fans saying it wasn't a penalty against Preston. But I'd have been surprised. I'd have been surprised and been quite honest about the fact that I would have been surprised if we'd got that decision ourselves. Yeah. And to see it go against us was a little bit sickening, and then the booking as well. Because I mean, was that the one uh, where the referee wasn't going to book him, and then he saw it was him? Yeah, it's, it looked that way anyway because yeah. he kind of watched it. And then play carried on a little bit afterwards, and then the Norwich players started booting off, and then he gave the foul, mm. and then again it was like a few more seconds passed, and he saw it was Pearson and and got the yellow card out. Yeah. Um, and another one on on the flip side is uh, when was it Borough away when Paul Gallagher came off injured after he was on the receiving end of a really bad tackle, oh, and I think Alec. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I think, that one. Yeah, I think Alex Neil said in the press as well, didn't he? If that was someone like Ben Pearson, it would have been a red card or a yellow yeah, card. absolutely. I th- was it Chef Wednesday away? Uh, no, I don't think it was that, because Ben Pearson got sent off that game, didn't he? Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting my instance mixed up. It was, it was around the time that we played Borough away. It was toward the end of the season, anyway. Um, yeah, because I think um, Gallagher, that was the one where he posted on, like, his Instagram or something like a picture of the tackle because it was yeah. it was similar to um Ledson's you know when he got sent off at Leeds yes it, it was kind of yeah, like straight in at him and even he was like stood up halfway up the calf yeah yeah but I think it the worst was a very poor challenge the one that stood out for me for Pearson was do you remember like Leeds Tuesday night when he got sent off the but home the, the home game. Yeah, the home game. So yeah. where he, in the first half, I think it was like his first tackle, the ref like instantly brought out the yellow card. Yeah, like, that, that happened a few times this season where the referee was like, right, Pearson's committed yeah. his first foul, I'll just book him preemptively and make sure we have no more. Exactly. And it was, I think it was like, because 
Leeds player went in identical tackle, other side of the pitch, didn't get a book in. And I think that's where, like, the reputation definitely has an impact. Yeah. 100%. Um, and the Leeds one effectively ended his season, really, because he, he, mm. he was then on 14 yellows and we didn't want to risk him for the start of next year. Yeah, because yeah. the ban carries over, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it it's a tough one because... It, it, well, it's not a tough one because he's a quality player um, and yeah. I've no doubt that he, he will one day end up in the Premier League um, mm. but I think the thing that concerns me about him leaving this summer is the fact that it is Brighton and they'd probably be willing to pay what we'd ask for him um, undoubtedly they'd be able to offer him a better package than we currently are doing oh yeah obviously and Brighton's new manager is Graham Potter, so he's had 12 months in the championship. He'll know all about Pearson in terms of his abilities, what he can bring to a side. Um, you know, he progresses play really well from his deep position. Obviously, we've just spoken about his tackling. Um, and I think one of the things that stood out to me in Ollie's article about him uh, earlier in the year was his pace over sort of five, ten yards is... He's very quick because he's, he's yeah. leaner than you think as well, Pearson. He's more of an athlete than yeah, I, you'd from, expect. From the crowd, sometimes he he looks a little bit like he's he's quite stocky, but yeah. like you said, he's very lean. He's quite athletic, um, and over them shorter distances, he covers ground really well. Uh, I mean, I know he he got sent off for this one as well, but the game against. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, was it Chef Wednesday when he got sent off at home? Yeah. When they played a ball from deep and he was... Um, well, that one, I'd say, was a red, but that was because he was he had to be tracking back because there was just a, a massive gap in the defence suddenly. Yeah, yeah. yeah opened up. I think Story, Story moved out onto the right and played it up to Daniel Johnson, I think, who then tried to play a ball over the top, which was intercepted. And because Story had moved out, there was a massive gap. The ball came over the top from the Chef Wednesday player. Uh, if it was Chef Wednesday, I can't remember. And I think it Pierce, was, yeah. like you said, was was the one that, that had to sort of make up that ground and, and cover. But it it's a prime example of his pace over that short distance. You know, he, he, he wasn't in position to cover, but he had no issues in getting there to cover. And taking the man and, out. <laughs> and, yeah, obviously then... Taking yeah. the man out. I know it's kind of a moot point because he ended up getting sent off, but you, you get where I'm going with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't have got there in the first place if it wasn't for his turn of pace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I did just want to say one thing about Graham Potter. He's, um, he's proved himself to be quite a good man manager, and they're the sort of managers that you'd expect to back themselves to really make a difference with a player like Pearson with a bad reputation. Yeah, absolutely. About the discipline. Like, um, like Alexander Mitrovic, he has had disciplinary problems in the past. Not maybe not so much anymore, but sort of for three or four years, a couple yeah. of years ago. When he was at Newcastle. When particularly when he was at Newcastle, yeah, like when he pulled Daniel Johnson's hair. <laughs> yeah, I can always I can always remember quite vividly. Yeah. But um, there's managers like um, Ranieri who had quite a good effect on him, even though Ranieri's time at Fulham was short-lived. Well, he even had, uh, Slavisa Jukanovic in the season that they went up, yeah, um, him too. He brought him in on loan, and 
he did the business for him, didn't he? He scored the goals because yeah. they were were they similarly placed to us last season um, before they went on a bit of a run. Like they were sort well, yeah. of mid mid table, bottom bottom half of the table sort of thing, and then they went on that unbelievable run and obviously got into the playoffs. I suppose you could say a bit like Villa uh, yeah. this season, and obviously beat Villa last season to go up through the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think Graham Potter is one that you would probably imagine could get the best out of Pearson in terms of improving his record. Oh. But then I'd say that about Alex Neal, to be honest. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have managed to do much. Because um, no. I think in and he's been he's been quite public in every time saying enough's enough. Yeah, criticizing him quite yeah. openly, and ever since yeah. he got here as well, it's not just the one one occasion. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it'll it'll be a massive miss if he does go. Um. Hopefully, it's not this summer. Um. No. Well, I think if he does go this summer, then that's going to completely uh, change the mould of what we're going to go for in the transfer window because yeah. we're going we're gonna to miss that DM in the I, squad. It's going gonna, it's gonna to leave a major hole. Uh, I, know, I know we do have Ryan Ledson in the squad, but I, I'm just not sure if he's ready for a full season of championship football yet. Yeah, I, like, and... I like the kid. I think he's a very good prospect, but I'm just not sure if he's ready to play the role that Pearson plays quite yet certainly to the level of effectiveness that Pearson does. Yeah, I I agree with Dan. Yeah, I think um I think as well he's got his own discipline kind of issues to <laughs> yeah, that's that as well. <laughs> yeah. um, he's uh, he's not scared of flying in, is he? Yeah. So I think that's like another aspect of his game that Neil kind of has to yeah. develop with him. And I yeah. yeah, I'm in agreement there. I don't think He's ready for that full season. Uh, I think that ties into um, what we mentioned in the last podcast in terms of the LEP have just been peddling and peddling and peddling that phrase experience. Um, And if Pearson was to go, I think that is one position that is absolutely pivotal um, and, and one that we'd have to get right in terms of who we bring in. Yeah. You can't really, you can't really have an effective anchor without experience. No. Even, even even when we brought Pearson in, he'd had a full season in League One at least. Yeah, and he'd, I think he'd played in Scotland as well, hadn't he? No, that was uh, Grimshaw, I think. Uh, I'm sure it was. Uh, I could be wrong, but I'm sure Pearson was in Scotland, then went on loan to Barnsley in League One, and then came here. I could be wrong, but <clears throat> anyway, the point still stands. He he, he had experience prior to. Yeah. To joining us, um, and and Ledson has that as well, um, but he is he, he, is he twenty one, twenty two, something like that. He's I'm not I'm not fully sure. No, he's still very young. Uh, yeah. And like you say, I, I'm I'm not entirely convinced that he's ready to make the step up to a full season at this level. Um, I absolutely think he'll get more game time and he'll feature more prominently this season, whether Pearson stays or goes. Yeah. Um, he showed in the game against Ipswich that his ability to pick a pass a little bit higher up the field is is there. You know, he he, he played the ball through to Robinson for I think it was Robinson's first goal. So people will say that yeah, he's a ready-made replacement, but I think he's potentially more than that as well. I think I think he's got. Attributes to play further forward. 
Yeah, Pearson. Pearson's more your standard number four anchor, I'd say. Uh, I mean, it's it's Ollie that likes his numbers in terms of positional players' sense. Pos- uh, positional sense, but I'd say I'd say uh, Ledson's probably more of a six in yeah. that he he will be that little bit more dynamic in getting forward and back. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as saying that Ledson is a Pearson replacement just yet. Like I said, he's 21. He's still yeah. got plenty of development to do. And even Paul Gallagher's come out. He's, what, 33, 34? Even he's come out and said that the manager's made him a better player. So there's there's still bags of potential there for Ledson. I just don't think he's ready to make the step up yet, which, yeah. like, like we said, in terms of the summer transfer activity... If Pearson does go, it's going to be critical that we get it right and we don't fanny around like we have done in the past. No, and yeah, I think if, I think if if he does go and we have an idea for who we want to replace him, it's important that we jump on that one person and don't wait until we whittle it down to the third or fourth choice. Yeah, like the right backs in January when we yeah. with Joe Rafferty. When I mean, from, from what little we've from, from what little we've seen of Rafferty, it wasn't too bad a choice. But I mean. He was he was fourth choice. Yeah, and it could it could have been worse. Yeah, um, I think one one scenario that springs to mind um, with fannying around and sort of messing about with transfer fees and stuff like that for players is Charlie Adam under was it Alan Irvine. Where, oh, when we had, when we ended up with Valisha Milikovsky. Yeah, yeah, because we weren't willing to. I'm sure it was a case that we weren't willing to pay what whoever the Charlie Adams club was at the time, what they wanted for him. So I ended up getting Shuma Lukowski, who was... It was Rangers, sh- wasn't it? Sure, the LEP dubbed him the Macedonian Steven Gerrard. Yeah. And they couldn't have been further from the truth with that. But awful, that's a position that we don't want to end up in if Pearson does go. Like you said, Dan, if, if, if he does go and we identify a target, or sorry, if the manager identifies a target, the club need to back him. Yeah. Um because he's given the backing to the club and the fans by signing his three-year deal. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I know it's it may or may not be a realistic target, but if Pearson does go, I really like Sam Hutchinson at Sheffield Wednesday. Whether we'd be willing to pay what they, what they'd want for him, well, that'd be the question. I, I severely doubt, but say for argument's sake, he was the target. It would be a case of going to West, going to West Ham, <laughs> to Sheffield Wednesday offering what they want for him and yeah. securing the deal not not messing about and getting it yeah. done because if, if we're gonna if we're gonna play a system that relies on an anchorman like like Pearson or like Hutchinson then I'd say that along with goalkeeper and your lone striker that's probably the one position that you need absolutely nailed down yeah definitely 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 I think one player that ticks a lot of boxes for him uh, for the club sorry and I'm sure we've mentioned him either on the pod last week or maybe in some written content that we've published on the website. I can't remember, but I'm sure we've definitely mentioned him as Paul Coots. Um, mm. He didn't. He didn't quite make my final cut for the yes, uh, the the maybe, target maybe, thing, but yeah, maybe we've just tweeted about him then. Um, but he, yes, he's not the same kind of player as Pearson in that he he won't sort of do the tough tackling and, and all that sort of yeah. stuff but he he takes a lot of boxes for us in terms of he's got championship experience he's on a free so we wouldn't have to pay anything for him um, wages might be an issue but I'm sure there's 
something there's, that there's, we could there's gonna sort be, there's out. Gonna be some wiggle room in the wage budget, especially in the early parts of the window. Yeah, I would imagine so. There's been talk as well, haven't there, that we are actually increasing our wage cap. I think this season, um, or we'll be looking at increasing our wage cap for the right players. So yeah, I think he he's a player that I wouldn't mind see coming in, whether Pearson goes or not. To be honest, I think he'd be a good option uh, in the middle Absolutely. of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, is it is there anyone else that you'd think maybe would be worth looking at if if he was to go or if if Pearson was to go? I mean, Hutchinson is, I mean, for me, the go-to replacement as. I would say the second best defensive midfielder in the league after Pearson. Yeah. yeah. Unless unless we were going to go and look for somebody from the Premier League, but again, it's just a question of how much money we'd be willing to spend. Or it's another loan and then they come in for 12 months. We make a, another club's player better and the likelihood is that they'll go because we won't be able to afford them. Yeah. Um, but if it works out and we get promoted, then who knows? Mm. Who knows? But so you'd hope we like do what we did in January and just get it done early yeah. doors, get them into pre-season, kind of gel mm. the squad. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping they continue with that and just give Alex Neil the backing of of what what he needs to bring in. As yeah, I think as good as January was, I think that was also the frustrating bit was that it highlighted that the club are willing to back the manager. Oh, definitely, yeah. But it was just—it was just when we looked like we were in trouble that we actually thought we'd better pull our finger out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hemmings loosening the purse strings, and yeah. but he's—he's he's got a track record of doing that, hasn't he? Um, mm. I, I'm sure it was under Phil Brown when we were—I know we ended up getting relegated, but when we were—we weren't 100 percent down. Um, in the January window, he went out and spent a bit of money on sort of. We had, we had Ian Hume on a ridiculous wage for what yeah. we, for what we were paying everybody else. And then there was like Nathan Ellington came in. Um, yeah. Duke. I think Leon Clark was another one. Or maybe did he come in in League One? Um, I, can't, I can't remember Leon Clark. He did so little for us. Oh, he God, was just another... He, he was like David Amu, but before his time. Yeah. Well, what, what's, 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 what's some Daddy Johnson up for me was um, when we beat Sheffield United 3-1 towards the end of the season uh, it was Nathan Ellington actually who scored a goal went off to celebrate in front of the Finney and Ian Ashby had to, had to physically pull Eddie Johnson to the celebrations because he just wasn't interested God. and that that's, yeah. that summed him up for me he just yeah. didn't seem like he was interested in playing for us no. that, that's something we have to avoid is make I mean signing younger players on loan like we have been is sort of a way to avoid that but even Nemecha got accused of not looking interested at time, which, I mean, I thought that was bollocks, but, I mean, there is always a risk with loan players that that could happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one thing that you have to commend Peter Ridsdale and Alex Neal for, um, probably more Peter Ridsdale, because I think we've been quite consistent in our transfer policy, if you want to call it that, Um, since he's been at the club, in that they, from what, I can gather from going to like the fans forum and speaking to other people that hear things from within the club and whatnot, that they will put just as much effort into finding out about the player as a person, as opposed to his ability. 
Um, and if he yeah. doesn't fit the bill in terms of what we're looking for and what whether he'll fit into our dressing room or not, then it doesn't matter how good he is. And I'm sure this is what Alex Neil said at the forum. It doesn't matter how good he is, but if he doesn't fit fit the bill for that, then we won't sign them. Um, so I think that's one thing that I think the club have got right that you can't sort of knock them for as far as transfers go because there's plenty of things that you can um, you can give the club shit about in terms of transfers but I think finding the right personality and type of person if you will uh, is yeah. something that they've done really well um, but yeah I mean have you got anything else to add on Pearson potentially leaving any replacements uh, nothing from me I'd say we could probably head for a break at this point yeah cool Welcome back to From the Finney. Um, no, let's do that again. That was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the From the Finney podcast. Um, we'll sort of dive straight back in. I know we mentioned last week about a Twitter meltdown in terms of the kit and people sort of going off on one about how it looked and the Just Sport deal and Nike and somewhat unsurprisingly if you're on Twitter and the North End fan there's been another one um, this week with Liverpool winning the Champions League on Saturday night um, and the reaction there's been a lot of talk online yeah, yeah exactly um, about the volume of Liverpool fans and that they should all support the local club and blah, blah, blah. And I completely get that. Um, you know, I would encourage anyone that's born locally, lives locally to at least take an interest in your local club. Uh, I think more, even if they are doing pants in the league, you know, if we're in league two or non-league, I don't think there's anything wrong with supporting your local team just for the sense of community that it brings you. Uh, But, it just seems to be, in my opinion, it seems to be sort of like a massive kickoff over over not a lot. The the proximity that we are to Liverpool and Manchester, there's obviously going to be a lot of Liverpool fans, United fans, City fans. I'm sure if City were in the Champions League final, it would have been exactly the same. I'm sure it would have been the same for Man United. Um, so, yeah, I just... <laughs> I don't disagree with what people are saying online. I just feel like it—it it was just uh, just much ado over nothing, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. All things considered, I'm I'm very much with you on that. I mean, Preston's a I mean a fairly populous place, and it would be nice to see twenty two, twenty three thousand on Deepdale every week. But um, when you think about it, Liverpool are a massive global club who are essentially right on our doorstep. I mean, yeah. for for people who listen to the podcast who don't know me, don't, who haven't interacted with me, I'm actually uh, teaching in Liverpool a stone's throw from Anfield, and it 
I, I mean, I live in Ormskirk, which is uh, sort of equidistant between Preston and Liverpool. But I live here so I can get back to Preston easily. And I can also get into Liverpool just as easily. So to have such a massive club that's an hour and a half in the car or on public transport away, it's always going to attract quite a significant number of fans, I think. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's hardly the same as, say, the amount of Manchester United fans there are probably living in Hammersmith. Yeah. Yeah. Or but just I London think... in general. London in general, yeah. Yeah, just to jump in on it, I think, like, my frustration with it, and I did get a bit frustrated, well, annoyed on Saturday night, is because I think it's just, like, in general, our support isn't great. So we get what ten, eleven thousand. Yeah, we I reckon we probably there. average about eleven, don't we? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And I think like that was kind of highlighted, especially after um, was it after Birmingham? Mm-hmm. We, we beat them one nil, and that was when we were still in the shout with the playoffs. I think did that take us level on points with the playoffs? That win? Yeah, that took us to seventh and just goal difference keeping us out. Yeah. And that was when people when people started to think hello. <laughs> Yeah, that we had a chance. And I remember Alex Neal's post-match comments were about, like, these these lads deserve more support than, the, than they're getting. Mm, and yeah. I think that, like, obviously when your manager's saying it, and, like, that's... It is a problem if the manager addresses it directly, I would say, because that happens yeah. so, so rarely in football. And yeah. I mean, it, it it wouldn't be such a problem if those eleven, twelve thousand that make it onto most home games were our only fans. But we've seen so many more. You see, well, Liverpool I mean, and United, prime examples in the cup. Well, yeah, and I I don't want to be one of those cynics who bashes away games because I I like an away game as much as the next guy. But I'm willing to bet that maybe 2,000 of the 7,000 we sometimes take to big away games don't come on the home games and go to the away games for the occasion and the piss up. And I'm not yeah. saying that, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, any support is great support for your team. But why can't they come on home games? I would yeah. question. The cynic in me would question that anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think um, what... I think what the point we're trying to make here really is not so much about the amount of Liverpool fans or United fans living in and around Preston. I think it, in, for me, in my opinion, it comes back onto the club. Talking of away games, Rovers away is a prime example. They've got a big, massive fan zone right outside the ground, um, which it, I don't know that the way that the club's going in terms of progression at the moment, it just seems to be really slow. Um, over the last two years, they've made a, a marked improvement, even down to things like the, the advertising for the season tickets. I mean, we're even doing YouTube ads this year, which is it's like welcome to the 21st century. Yeah. Like, um, nicely produced ones as well. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. Absolutely. You've got to commend the club for that. But, they're probably about five years behind the curve. Yeah, like you're saying, I think there's just a bit of a disconnect. Yeah, um, there is, absolutely. Which, which they are trying to bridge, like you're saying, like with their advertising, social media, they're, they are getting better. But I think it's like you say, when you're competing against clubs like 
that have got kind of these great fan zones like with I saw one at is it West Brom they've got a really good one yeah um I just think yeah if, if they can bridge that even more kind of I don't know I think just being more transparent with fans and just having mm. a, a two-way conversation maybe that could help yeah I think a prime example of that is the training ground um hundreds of fans got involved with the council side of that and the planning permission side of that and if I remember correctly it should have been this season coming that the training ground was proposed to be ready for and Mm. we've as far as I'm aware not made a start on it Um, yeah we've not broken ground yet have we not as far as I'm aware could be wrong Um, happy to be corrected on that but like the fans forum in I think it was February is just another example of how like you said Sarah there's there's just such a disconnect between the club and the fans and there's uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say it but some of the dinosaurs at the top of the club and and the way that they're running it people like John Kay who he, you know, he just turns up to a fans forum and he just spouts the same old bollocks every time. And you know, it's like, it, it, you just wouldn't be surprised if he's had a 20 minute phone conversation with Trevor Hemmings before the fans forum. And, and he's just literally, po- t- sorry, poing the party line, towing the party line and, and just saying the bare minimum that he needs to say. Um, like going back to the fan zone, there was talk, I think, at the fans forum last year about making a start on that. And it was only at the fans forum this year that the majority of people found out, unless they went on the forum uh, on PNE Online or were on Facebook in whatever groups are on Facebook. It was only at the fans forum that people actually found out what the holdup was with with the with the fan zone, and that was that I think they'd found asbestos in the roof, so they'd just scrapped the whole thing. Yeah, you know, like what there's there's they've they've got a perfectly functioning website. They've got a girl running it who's more than capable of putting out a statement to just say, "This is the latest update with the fan zone. We're not pursuing it at the minute because of X, Y, and Z." Just put it on the website. Let everyone know. Bob's your uncle. Fan is your aunt then you've not got sort of Chinese whispers doing the rounds online and people saying one thing and then it, it turning into something completely different. And it's stuff like that that I think winds people up and keeps them away from the club. Um, and, and it's hard in this sort of day and age with social media and all that. Like I said, with some of the dinosaurs that you got at the top of the club that I suspect would be making things difficult for a very small marketing team at the club. Um I just think they they could be doing so much more to not shoot themselves in the foot. Um, like I said, it just feels like a load of false promises, and I think that is one of the reasons why there's so many sort of fans of other clubs in the city that more than likely have never been anywhere near Old Trafford or the Etihad or Anfield. Um, but I just think that... It, yeah, commend the club. They're making an effort. They've started to improve things, but it could just be so much better yeah. with a lot less effort. If that makes sense, I don't know if that was I'd, just a bit of a rant or. I, I I completely understand where you're coming from. I mean, I know you 
talked about John Kay specifically at the fans forums. It would be a nice start if just every answer that was given at these fans th- fans forums didn't feel like just recycled scripts. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what sort of kills the relationship between the fan and the club for me is if we, I mean, I've never been to one of these fans forums because I'm either busy or I know what I'm going to get from it, which is nothing new. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are like that. The yeah. you know on Twitter, on on the on PNE online, on Facebook, you know, you see a lot of people saying, oh, "I'm not going to go because it's just going to be the same old stuff." Yeah, well, I remember. Um, I don't know if it, it wasn't the last one, but the one was it September, like the start of the season. Yeah. Um, I think it was either on the train <coughs> on the Sorry. training ground or the fan zone where they gave an answer. And even um, Dave Seddon was like, well, that's not clear. So he yeah. went back to them to get clarity on it. And I think that's highlighting the issue that they're not really answering anything. Yeah, they're just sort of pussyfooting around it, aren't they? Uh, for, for, for Dave Seddon to comment on a lack of transparency between the media outlet <laughs> and the club, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. quite something. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, if you listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think well, I mean, it's, it's his job, really, isn't it? He's, uh, he works for the club just as much as he works for the LEP. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just that. He, I suppose he has to keep the club on side, really, doesn't he? Um, as opposed to working for the club, I suspect it's more okay yeah. to be working. I'm not, I'm not suggesting he picks up a salary from them. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not suggesting that you were suggesting that, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that's probably enough about that. Um, the one final thing that I wanted to touch on was pre-season. I'm just not convinced that playing the likes of Bamba Bridge, Fylde, Fleetwood, Chorley, every... Well, all right, we've not played Chorley for the last two or three seasons, but yeah. all right, playing sort of... the Lower league, yes, but there's playing lower league and then there's playing teams that are just not... You know, the majority of the teams that were playing in pre-season that have been confirmed so far, Bamberbridge, Cork, AFC Fylde, Fleetwood Town and Chorley, they're, they're more not... Than, really more than gonna, half of them are semi-professional. Yeah, exactly. And they're not really going to come out and attack you. They're more than likely going to sit back. Mm. Try and it's, so, it's, it's, so it's as much a, um, an, att- an attacking play exercise. Yeah, exactly. Really, isn't it? Exactly. Um, which I'm just not right sure what. Obviously, there's the fitness aspect. There's the match uh, match fitness aspect as well. But I'm just not sure that it it's what we need. You know, I think we need to add a little bit of variety in there. Um, you know, we mentioned on the last pod about going to Far Island again. I know there's been talk that Alex Neal, I'm not sure whether this season as well, but last season was trying to agree a trip to Spain um, and to play some different opposition out there. Mm. More, I suspect, from the way that they would come and play the game. You know, I suspect a Spanish team or a German team or an, maybe not an Italian team, French team, <laughs> um, would would be more inclined to come and, and have a go at us. Yeah. Um, and just present something a bit different I'm just yeah. not sure that the likes of Fylde and Cork and Bamber Bridge and Fleetwood are, are going to do that for us. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I'd I'd probably make a similar point to the one I made last time, which is that Briggs sort of the traditional curtain opener, and it keeps them financially afloat for a year. So I yeah. don't I don't I don't have a problem with that, and it's a nice sort of community game. But oh yeah, the, I, the, I, I'm not I'm not. Um... I'm not saying I'm unhappy with the Bamber Bridge game. I love going on the Brig game. I go yeah. every year. Um, it's a local one as well, so it means I don't have to drive that far to get there. Yeah. But uh, what what I mean was what I was gonna uh, carry carry on to say was uh, the more teams we play like that, who, as you say, are just gonna bed in and try and n- not concede as many goals as possible. Uh, the only real match fitness that say Jordan Story and Ben Davis when they jog up for corners yeah yeah it, it, isn't going to do them much good really in the long run well I was looking at um, so for example like Norwich Sheffield and Villa I was looking at their pre-season friendlies that they did last summer and um, so Sheffield United yeah Sheffield yeah. United and they kind of had a m- more of a mix of like League Two, League One sides. Um, Villa played like West Ham. They also did um, Dynamo Dresden. Yeah. Um, and I think Sheffield, not 100% sure, but I think they did like um, a training camp in Portugal. So I think, I don't know. I think we definitely need more like League One, League Two sides. Yeah, mm. uh, obviously we're not going to play a Championship team. Um, yeah. Nah. Yeah, I think swapping out the likes of AFC Fylde and Cork City because you'd probably put Cork at what League, maybe maybe League Two level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean even if Kevin if, O'Connor if, was anything to go by, then maybe not even that. Yeah. I mean, if if we were gonna swap those out I mean we've played Oldham in the past I mean Oldham have tried to injure our players so maybe not specifically yeah. them. <laughs> but um, that sort of team Carlisle we used to play quite a lot in pre-season yeah although they're not in football league anymore are they so I don't yeah. know thought... yeah I think they're in Vanarama now aren't they well they might be league 2 I don't know I'm yeah not... I was going to say unless they got relegated this season I'm sure they were league 2 yeah. um, obviously we'll we'll, we'll play the customary two home games against Premier League opposition um, which the from what I've heard is potentially Newcastle, Watford or Burnley um, Not and we played West Ham and Burnley last year yeah, Burnley, Burnley seems to be becoming, becoming a semi-regular thing now yeah which is probably one of the reasons why I don't particularly mind them so much anymore whereas when I was younger like for me, the big the big derby was Burnley. Yeah, uh, was for me as well. But I'm I'm yeah I'm quite nonplussed about Burnley these days. I mean, I it's it, it's hard to be very anti a club that's so well run and is doing probably, so well. Probably going to get slaughtered as a Preston fan, but so genuinely quite likable at the moment as a football yeah. club. Yeah, it is. Um, it's hard, just, it's, it's hard to have that sense of absolute hatred that I used to have for them when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Did you both just hear that? Yeah. Yeah, your, your cat's coming. He's just trying to put his point across. Um, yeah, in, in terms of pre-season, obviously those two Premier League games at home are massive for us 
and I think the timing of them is is important as well, given that they're probably about two weeks to ten days out from the start of the season, so it's a it's a decent level to go in at. Mm. But I just, yeah, I think that build up of of the sort of non league, lower league teams, and then just jumping straight into a Premier League game or a game against the Premier League side. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. And then we just just in case we get hammered by both Premier League teams, we then have a little game against Fleetwood as well a week before the season starts, just yeah. to get another winner under Ta- our belts. Tactical, yeah, definitely tactical. Yeah, I think I think like you say, we just need more of a like mix. And looking at what other Championship clubs do, is they do go for like League One, League Two. I mean, it's not necessarily about needing like a training camp, like because that. Was the last time we did it in Austria, like Alan Irvine or someone? I remember us beating. I remember us beating a little Austrian team eleven nil. Yeah, because I'm not sure. Like that season, that well, that pre-season campaign. I can't remember what the season was like after, so I don't know if that actually benefited us. But I just think we need a bit more, like you say, a bit higher level. Mm. Yeah. uh, yeah, I just think that it could, the preparation could be a little bit better in terms of the level of opposition. Yeah, I just think it couldn't hurt because, I mean, if players are going to be challenged more, they're going to arguably benefit more that, from competing against a better side than just absolutely hammering a smaller side. Yeah. There's, 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 only, there's only so much confidence and fitness that putting eight past a team of plumbers can do for you. Yeah, the, exactly. With the greatest of respect to the teams that we are playing in pre-season um, I think if we were to do like a training camp abroad and say like Germany or France or somewhere like that and to play even if you were to play a Bundesliga 2 side or a, um, uh, whatever it is, League 2 League 2 in France yeah. um, uh, you know a team from that level um, you know maybe not specifically a league earned team or a Bundesliga side um, oh. as much as their this uh, sorry the level of opposition will will sort of I would suspect benefit us uh, the playing style will as well I think in the way that like a lot of German teams if we were to play someone like Mainz for example um, well I don't know them specifically but I would imagine that a lot of German teams tend to play with a bit more energy, a bit more mm. of um, maybe a bit similar to us in the way that we play. Um, and it just gives us something a bit different to think about. Uh, like I said, instead of just playing teams that are more than likely going to sit back and and dig in and try and make things difficult. Mm. Um, but yeah, have you got anything else to add? Or... Uh, not on the pre-season there. Nope. Cool. So, yeah, I think we'll we'll call it a day there. Um, thanks for listening to episode two of the From the Finney podcast. We'll be back soon enough, hopefully, uh, with episode three for you. Hopefully, we'll have Ollie with us again. Um, might even if do all four by of then. us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ollie, if you're listening, hope you're uh, in a better place soon, mate. Um, (laughs) Oh, that sounds a bit sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, hopefully we'll have uh, a full contingent next time. Um, Sarah, if you 
are happy to get involved again, then we can do, yeah. without wanting to sound crass, we could do a four-way pod. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but yeah, uh, th- thanks again for listening. Uh, you can keep in touch with us on social media and keep up to date with all the new content that we're publishing on the website and all the other things that we're working on. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you just search for From the Finney, you'll find us. Just give us a like or a follow, whatever it is, on whatever platform, uh, and say hello. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, see you later, Dan. See you, Jake. Always a pleasure. Yep, same to you. See you later, Sarah. Um, I hope you're happy with your, with your debut. Yeah, I'm very happy. Good. Um, right, cool. Thank you very much, guys.